amplified. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> this is the Abner Martinez podcast, and I'm here with my. It used to be. What is now? I don't know. Something weird. This is some, this is something, something. else. <laughs> what is this? Something by the way, very strange. We have our coffee cups. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, we're just we're just having fun doing things, and we also have like new techs, interns, Luca and Azul. They're out of the picture, but they're working. They're helping us work the camera. But our next guest is uh, Joe Henry. We talked to him about a week ago. He is the political director of the of LULAC, the League of United Latin American Citizens. Why do you say it like that? Why? <laughs> it sounds it sounds kind of like a superhero. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it does to me. Oh well, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, well, well, when cool. you say it like the that, the League of United but, like, Latin American Citizens. If you say it normal, if you say it normal. So different. he talked about the history of LULAC, the almost 100 years old uh, organization of Latinos that fight for justice. He'll break it down. Um, they have chapters all over the nation. And um, yeah, he came in and talked to us about current events, current issues that are happening. I know, and I was there. You were there. Yes, yeah. you'll be able to see Kenji on the, <laughs> on one of the... Make a little cameo. Cameo, yeah. yeah. We're, we're amateurs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. Yeah, you'll see the uh, the amateur cameo, <laughs> the dumbest the dumbest cameo ever. Um, so yeah, we talked about activism. We talked about you know where his activism came from and what it is to be an activist. And then we talked about issues, um, you know, like border suppression uh, legislation that got passed here in Iowa. Which, by the way, there's no proof of any border fraud here in Iowa. There's no, there's nothing, yet somehow Republicans presented legislation that is going to cut off time for voting one day less or one hour less or something like that. But what do you think about that? I don't know, man. That's kind of, I don't, I don't see the point of doing that. I mean, I know they say that, it, that they're trying to protect elections or whatever, but I don't know, it making it harder. Funny, huh? make, it yeah, funny. it's just... It stinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what that shit's about, but yeah, it it's, just does. You know, like make it harder for people to vote. Yeah, especially people that work uh, many jobs can't make it. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, it just sounds like it's just, shady. It's yeah, shady. yeah, yeah, it's yeah, shady. Yeah. Shady. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really pay attention. I can't yeah. vote anyway, so. But just on the surface, it just looks funny, right? It like, looks why? very shady. I don't know. Like, I, I think that if I were a voter, I would be like, mm, that kind of, mm -hmm. yeah, doesn't look good, right? But they know? don't care. It's yeah, a, they don't yeah, give a shit. They don't care. They don't give a shit. Yeah. So we talked about that too. We talked about uh, the parties. You know, Democrats. You, uh, people assume that. Latinos uh, or any other minority groups, you know, people of color vote a certain way, and it's not true or religious-wise. So we talked a little bit about that. We talked about the impact of immigration and immigrants locally. He's very smart guy. He's he brings a lot of uh, statistics, numbers, projections that um, make him a very intriguing person to talk to because he's always giving you 
educational information. It's like facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me serve you some facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to thank um, Joe Henry for his leadership. He's I've been following him for a couple of years, and um, you know now that I've sat down with him and spoke with him, I'm, I'm gonna continue to you know uh, listen to him and, and, and pay attention because he means well. Again, activism. He's a he's a, a successful realtor. You know, he doesn't have to be doing this stuff. Some some activists are just doing it. I because, wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I don't either. You know. Um, but just there's some activists out there that are just such. It's like a calling for them, and and it's you gotta respect that. You know. Yeah. Um, so, it's a very interesting conversation. So thank you, Joe Henry. Uh, Thank you to Good Vibes Movement for letting us use their space. Um, they're a really great organization as well. They serve the community in a lot of different ways. So please visit uh, Good Vibes Movement. And yeah, visit Amplified, DSM.com. We have three new podcasters that joined us. Um, and we have more. Yeah, and more are coming. So let's just keep growing the net network. Tell everybody about it. Share it. Uh, comment on it. Uh, let us know what you think, and um, hopefully we just keep going. We have some exciting interviews coming up, too. All right, so thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Joe Henry on the Amner Martinez podcast. <laughs> Are we done doing that? Okay. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you. Joe Henry, you're the political director of... Lulac, Iowa. Of Lulac, Iowa, the the League of United Latin American Citizens. And the League also of United Latin American Citizens. Right, we're the oldest and largest Latino civil rights organization mm -hmm. in the country. We're almost as old as the NAACP. Okay. Yeah. And it was started. Uh, it's 1929. 1920s. 1929. Okay. It was three Latino organizations that came together specifically on the one priority is to help seventy thousand displaced Mexicans who had their land taken away from them when the borders changed back in 1846. Okay. So that's where the saying comes from, where we didn't cross the border, the border crossed. Yes, it. yes. Yeah. I was talking to a Californian, and her family has been in California for generations and generations and generations. She's like, actually, you know, my family's been here before the border, you know, changed. So that's the saying, right? Like, exactly. we didn't cross the border, the border the border crossed uh, us. Crossed us. Uh, there was after the American uh, Mexican Civil War. Uh, there was uh, a treaty, Treaty of Guadalupe, and in that, uh, for for people Mexicans who who wanted to stay where they were at, uh, New Mexico, California, Arizona, and in a number of other states, um, the agreement was is that they would be able to have also U.S. citizenship and keep their land. Um, the um, Congress did not fulfill their promise mm -hmm. in, in many of the displaced uh, people from mm -hmm. our community lost their rights to their land. Uh, although they were given the right to citizenship, they lost their land. So it took um, three Latino organizations coming together mm -hmm. to fight for their rights, and they were somewhat successful. But that was, you know, that took over 50, 60, 70 years mm -hmm. of struggle to
to say this is our land. So, you know, you see this with the indigenous right. community, too. And, of course, we are part of the indigenous community, mm-hmm. we as Latinos. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of history there. Yeah, so uh, this country um, has been not fulfilling its duties, its treaties, its treaties. Uh, contracts, right? Like li- literal contracts that they have, that it has signed. Has broken has over broken. and over again. So you know, we again we see this with us, uh, those of us from the Latino community. We've seen this with the indigenous people uh, over and over again, uh, and it's 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 something that, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, it is. Um, we've had to deal with their form of capitalism, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. ongoing. Um, exploitation of communities, communities of color. Of course, the black community has suffered tremendously mm-hmm. uh, from the exploitation of our country. And I think a lot of people, and when I say a lot of people, I mean white people, right. <laughs> um, they, uh, they want everybody to just kind of conform, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I look at these organizations like LULAC and, um, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and Exactly. Um, as disruptors, right? There has to be a disruptive movement. If not, then things don't change. Well, yeah, they, they never change unless we get out onto the streets. Mm-hmm. Dolores Huerta once said that, uh, you know, get off the sidewalk, get on the streets. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to do that. Any, any uh, achievement that has been made by people of color, mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. blacks, people of color, women, has required us to rebel, mm-hmm. to protest. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. When you when you look at every single movement, right? Uh, we have had to protest, and then eventually the good white people allow the uh, say that they will adopt the laws. Mm-hmm. When when uh, when blacks and people of color were protesting during the civil rights movements mm-hmm. of the fifties and sixties, people were getting out into the streets. They were protesting. Mm-hmm. Finally. Johnson, uh, President Johnson, decided to sign the Civil Rights Bill, but it took protest. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've seen that Edna Griffin, who is a civil rights hero mm-hmm. here in Des Moines, mm-hmm. who in 1948 demanded to be seated in the white-only section of Katz Drugstore downtown. Okay. Uh, she demanded her right mm-hmm. to, to sit with white people, and it took her protest, it took a lawsuit, and even after she won her battle in 1948 here in Des Moines, she still had to boycott Katz Drugstore downtown because they still were uh, not allowing black people to be served downtown at 7th and Locust. So protest has always been part and partial of the struggle that we have faced mm-hmm. of, of black and brown-skinned people, indigenous people, and we have to remember that. We have to remind our communities that at some point we do have to get back on the street. We do have to do the boycotts. That's how things done. Mm-hmm. By 2032, uh, people of color will be the majority population in the United States. Mm-hmm. Not too far away. We're only right, right. 11 years away. Mm-hmm. There was a point where it was thought it was going to take till 2040, but no, it's going to be Right, so it keeps changing. The number keeps getting closer a little bit. Exactly. Well, in Iowa, you look at... Uh, 500,000 K through 12 kids, 20% are kids of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Des Moines schools, 1,500 kids every month 
turned age 18, 57% of the 34,000 school-age kids in Des Moines are from communities of color. Mm-hmm. We're changing significantly. We have a saying in our community that if you're not already a little, if you're not already related to a Latino, you soon will be. Yes, <laughs> whether you whether you <laughs> want to or happen. not, <laughs> and, and it's, it's going to be with uh, with other uh, communities of color too. So, you know, it's a true two prong attack. Yes, it's, it's both it's both boycotts, mm-hmm. protest. It's also uh, young people falling in love. Mm-hmm. Diversity is beautiful. Yeah. to uh, to even uh, young white. The people. face of America is changing. It is. And it's an inevitable right. shift. Um, I, I saw it personally. So I, I landed here in Iowa in 1995, and in Perry, Iowa, we went mm-hmm. straight straight to Perry, you know, meatpacking plant mm-hmm. town, and there was nine Latino students, mm-hmm. and two of them were my sisters, uh, and now Perry is like 50-50 Latino um, school. Exactly. Uh, the high school. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's a 25-year um, gap, but still, like, it's just been... Exponential s- growth. Yes. And we see that in many communities in Iowa. There's actually 15 counties out of the 99 counties in Iowa that have a high proportion of Latinos and of registered Latino voters. So we see it in Polk County, uh, which, uh, and then over to Dallas County, which mm-hmm. where Perry's at. Uh, Sioux City is very interesting. That's Woodbury County. That's the second largest population of Latinos in Sioux City, uh, Woodbury County. That's uh, the second highest amount of Latino registered voters. And then we look at Marshall County, Marshalltown. Uh, we look at Muscatine. That's another rising star. Stor- uh, Scott County, where Davenport is, Quad Cities, has a history of, uh, of Latino struggle. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, So it goes on and on. But, but we are growing by leaps and bounds. Immigration has fueled the recovery of the economy, Mm -hmm. not only in Iowa, but throughout the Midwest. What's interesting about the United States, the United States was built by slave labor Mm -hmm. and also by immigration. And what's unique is we have an opportunity in this country to acknowledge the importance of immigrants. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we're all immigrants. Right except for the indigenous population. But again, we're also intertwined with that. Right. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to understand it. We need to promote it. We need to make sure that the white community understands that. We need comprehensive immigration reform Mm -hmm. because immigration fuels this economy. So this country was, um, is protesting or revolting or um, uh, uh, wanting a better America that's part of the nature of this country, right? Like, it's in the, its fabric. Right. And so it started with the white community mm-hmm. first because mm-hmm. the white Europeans wanted to come here because they were exploited, religious persecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were wealthier whites that had already controlled the marketplace where they were at. So they wanted to go to a free land, they stated, mm-hmm. to come here. So they did create a democracy, but that democracy was only for white man right, right, at right. the very beginning. But fortunately, uh, democracy has spread, uh, and again, through struggle from the communities of color. Mm-hmm. So we now share in that democracy, which is a tremendous opportunity. And it's, it's an example to the rest of the world that democracy can make things happen, can make things fair. It's, uh, you know, it's a story that isn't finished yet. 
in right. part of it. Right, because it's the progress is almost like the speed of a turtle, right? <laughs> it is. Um, it is. Uh, but it starts with us, though. Yeah, it starts yeah. with the disruptors. It starts with the Harry yes. Tubmans. It starts with the people that are like not willing to stand by and stay quiet. It's our right. And that was actually Edna Griffin's uh, statement. It's my right, and I'm going to take it. Yeah. And that's what she stated in 1948 when she demanded to be seated in the white-only section of Cat's Drugstore downtown. And she was my mentor. That's why okay. I bring that yeah, up. Yeah, she has a park named after her, correct? A park. She has a park, she has a walking pedestrian bridge, and she has a building named after her. Wow. And she's applauded for all her uh, rebellious nature, her boycotts. But the sad thing about it is she fought the fights, and then the white community embraced it afterwards and almost took ownership of it. Uh, But it was not them who fought for her right. It was her. It was her, it was the black community, and also Latinos. So in her time, she was looked at like, oh, come on, just... You know, go with the flow, exactly. be with the status quo, and she decided not to. Yeah, exactly. She was she was told over and over again, just just mind your place. Right. Just be a good black person. Mm-hmm. Don't don't disrupt, as, right. you, as you stated. Uh, she refused to accept that. She was mm-hmm. extremely brilliant in her politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was um, she was a progressive. She was a Democrat. She was also a communist, mm-hmm. and she uh, extremely brilliant person. And uh, from what she had uh, achieved, she was kind of a mentor. She was a mentor to me. She was also a mentor to Mary Campos, too. Okay. Mary Campos worked for her. Oh, okay. Over on Forest Avenue at Stan's. Uh, uh, Edna's uh, husband was a doctor. Mm-hmm. And he had, he had his uh, office on uh, 2400 Forest Avenue. And Mary Campos is a um, prolific Latina leader here in Iowa. She is. She is. But it, it, it's interesting, though, because she worked for Edna's husband. Uh, Mary was a good friend of my family, the Enrique's family. Uh, but and Mary and I fought very hard during the 80s to make sure that we, we had the, we, that the Latinos had the right uh, to get hired in, mm-hmm. in city jobs. But her um. politics veered more towards the Democratic Party. My politics, due to Edna, veered more towards socialists and communists. Oh, so she impacted... Uh, uh. Well, when, when uh, Mary worked for Edna's husband, uh, but Edna taught me when I was 26 mm-hmm. how to be an activist, how to rebel. So there was a difference. Uh, There was a difference. So I became the radical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Mary, Mary was accepted by the establishment. I see. So as as we see sometimes, and and I have a lot of respect for Mary and Mm -hmm. the struggles she went through, but sometimes the establishment, the white community, likes to put a few of us on the shelf and say, "Hey, we have some of these." Which what people would call token tokenization. Tokenizing. Right? And then those of us who rebel, mm-hmm. they try to prevent us mm-hmm. from raising our voice. Mm-hmm. And they did that with Edna. They've done that with me. They've done that with many others. And then we see the BLM movement last year mm-hmm. with many black voices raising uh, their demands mm-hmm. and, and how the city was fighting their demands. Right. Even when... The BLM movement, the activists, not only black but brown faces, mm-hmm. demanded the mayor at his doorstep mm-hmm. to make change happen. 
and you know we're still having to make those demands uh, mm-hmm. within the black community. They are the modern day Ednas. They are. They are the young people, especially from the black community, are our leaders. Mm-hmm. When you are demanding justice in your late teens, early twenties, mm-hmm. you you are doing something that will change. Mm-hmm. the way things are done in the future. Right. And and we must embrace that. We must provide as much support as possible. The establishment does not want that to happen. Uh, the white community would rather us kind of fit into a, a certain paradigm that they mm-hmm. have designed mm-hmm. of being good people of color, and we can't allow that to happen. And um, I want to kind of touch base a little bit on that ter- that. Um when you mentioned that the establishment will grab someone and maybe unbeknownst to that person, use them almost, right? Like use them and say, look, we have our exactly. our uh, uh, Latino or we have our African-American here that it, thinks well, the way that it, we it, think. It happens e- even without the awareness of the person that mm-hmm. it's happening to. I mean, you know, I have this, you know, I, I have people from the establishment say, hey, Joe, we, we want you to be part of a committee. But, you know, once I'm part of the committee, then I start speaking up. Then they go, well, Joe, you, you probably need to go somewhere else yeah. on that. So it, it, it is hard for people who to not understand that. I know that it would, you know, if I was to bring this up to Mary, she would, she would not uh, accept that, mm-hmm. uh, that label. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is the problem that we have. We have in Iowa is a perfect example of where we have the white establishment that is uh, demanding that we mind uh, mind ourselves mm-hmm. and that uh, we only take certain steps and that mm-hmm. we work within their paradigm mm-hmm. uh, and then they take some of us they put the, put us on committees they uh, take pictures with us they, yeah. don't, they don't really invite us over for dinner or anything like that yeah we're not their real good friends yeah um, and then that's their way of maintaining power but it's, it's economic power at the yeah. end of the day, this is all about economics. It's mm-hmm. about not sharing knowledge. Because what many of us have been fighting for over the decades is for economic freedom, economic justice, equality. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear a lot of discussion about mutual aid being promoted uh, through BLM. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are fighting for things that they in the white community do not want to give up. Mm-hmm. They do not want to give up the things that we have produced for them. And this is told like this work this type of work this activism that's that takes um a lot of energy that takes that's exhausting um extremely exhausting when you look again and and i'm bringing back edna when you mm -hmm. look her and her husband who was a doctor could have made a lot of money could have bought a big house south of grand Mm -hmm. but they end up um living in a small little two and a half bedroom home over on 44th street in which they weren't welcome by the Mm -hmm, way, mm -hmm. when they moved there because they gave their money, they spent most of their money for the movements Mm -hmm. at that time through, through decades. Mm -hmm. So when you fight for justice, it's not, it's not glamorous. It's not, it's not something that you're going to receive rewards for, but it's, it's, you're, you're doing something to, to, protect your community mm-hmm. to make to provide economic justice for your community equality yeah so changing back a little bit to like local issues that are current right now um i know that there's some uh, border uh, suppression that um or some legislation that has been 
Can you educate me a little yeah, bit on that? Yeah. Uh, so a bill was just passed in the state legislature, um, both chambers, and I believe if it wasn't already signed, it will be signed by the governor. And it will reduce the amount of time you can vote early mm-hmm. from 29 days down to 20 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before it was 40 days. Mm-hmm. But the mail-in ballot was instrumental last year because over a million people in Iowa voted by the mail ballot due mm-hmm. to the uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, uh, 1 million out of 1.7 million. Uh, reducing the amount of time to vote early is going to be difficult mm-hmm. for many communities, especially ours, because there will be people, young and old, who may not have the time if they're working uh, multiple jobs uh, on election day. They won't be able to make it to vote uh, during the day election, or they might not have transportation. The other thing, too, with this voter suppression rule, it also reduces the amount of hours you can vote on election day, which is also a travesty. So instead of being able to vote till 9 o'clock at night, they're going to make it till only till 8 o'clock. So they're taking another hour away while at the same time taking the right to vote early away by limiting the amount of time. So both, it's a two-prong attack. There's another prong into it, too, that Uh, also on the voter on the identification to provide. So all of that is going to make it difficult for our communities. But nonetheless, we need to keep on fighting. We are uh, uh, looking at doing a lawsuit Mm -hmm. against the state of Iowa regarding this voter suppression uh, law. So uh, we'll be able to provide updates. So from the outside, right, so so skeptic people would say it's an hour, it's one less day, where is this? Where does this need come from? That to to reduce time and reduce uh, and and make more hurdles for people to vote. Where where does that come from? Well, the the Republicans have really looked at this in a very uh, sophisticated way. They know that when re- they reduce things by law, and there's and this this voter suppression bill in Iowa is one of 133 voter suppression bills that have been promoted across the country in 30 states. Wait, they, say that number again? 133 voter suppression bills have been promoted in across. 30 states across the country. Multiple bills across the country mm-hmm. in 30-some states. So it, it, it's a mathematical it's formula that if they mm-hmm. do these reductions, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. The, most, the, the most significant impact will be towards communities of color who work, many work multiple jobs in our community, many work, uh, many might not, might not have transportation unless mm-hmm. you're public transportation. Uh, so it will limit their amount of voting. And if it can limit the amount of voting by only a few percentage points, it will allow victory for yeah, those. Yeah, because some voting. elections are being won by very small margins. Yeah, well, when you think about the white community, uh, let's, let's bring that up. Mm-hmm. The white community in general, has a higher income. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't, in general, work multiple jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, many have the ability to to vote early without any problem. They get it. They understand it. Mm-hmm. And here we are as a Latino community. Many of our members, our adult members, are working more than one job. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of our people are young. The median age of the Latino community in Iowa is 23. Mm-hmm. The median age of the white community is 38. So we have a lot of young people who are voting for the first time. We have a lot of young people who coming out of high school. 
may still not have a car. Mm-hmm. And they may need public transportation. A lot of these precinct locations where you vote, uh, they're not near bus stops. Uh, and when you look at our community and other communities of color, uh, sometimes it, it's difficult to understand the economic advantages of voting mm-hmm. because we don't really actually receive direct benefit from voting. It's more of a long-term thing. Whereas those uh, wealthy voters, those from the white communities, mm-hmm. they see the tax breaks that happen after they get another member mm-hmm. into the state legislature, after they get another member in Congress. Mm-hmm. They get direct benefit from that. So it, it takes time. But again, when we go back to the civil rights struggle, the march from Selma was all about voting. It was all about fighting for sanitary workers. It was about the right to vote because that's where the power is. That was the power to free black people, Mm -hmm. to get them economic justice. And we have to do everything we can to provide that knowledge, that information. So how how do they, how do the Republicans camouflage or or paint this this um, legislature as what is their spin on it? What is their positive spin on it? Uh, their spin it on is they're reducing uh, voter fraud and they are increasing the uh, security of the voting. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. want to secure the vote, so it, it's. Um, Shouldn't that be after the vote though? Right, like they should just. Sure. Right, because that's where you. Verify votes, sure. right, after people vote, not before they vote. Right, right. Uh, to them, though, th- they use whatever they can. It, you know, another way of saying this, this is a form of gaslighting, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which is they will say everything they can to point the blame on us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That the reason they have to do this is because they're afraid that Latino, some, li- some Latinos might not be legal. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Therefore, they have to secure the vote. They have to make it harder. They have to restrict it. They have to require multiple forms of ID, mm-hmm. uh, verification, uh, constantly using things like that, those arguments. So they reverse the argument. Yeah. They turn the table. And it, it's a very sophisticated way of arguing. It's when you are dealing with an oppressor, an oppressor will use words to put the blame on those who are, are oppressed. Mm-hmm. Again, the black community is a perfect example of that. Uh, um, the white community oppressed the black community, made them slaves because they felt that they were less than human. Mm-hmm. And so we see this over, this narrative happening over and over again. And that's why we have to do everything we can to educate, inform, provide knowledge to our community, to make sure our people stand tall and understand the right to vote is a powerful thing. Right. Is that being voted on? Is that being... Uh, it was already the? voted on. And unfortunately, it, of course, the Democrats stood strong in the state legislature. They stood strong here. Uh, they, fought the, they fought the fight. Uh, many of us spoke at the hearings uh, mm-hmm. there at the state house two weeks ago. But uh, the Republicans had the vote. Mm. And when we look at Republican power here, we could actually change it in the 15 counties in Iowa where we have a high percentage of Latino voters. Mm-hmm. So we have to work on education mobilization. Now, with that said, Emner, there is also legislation being crafted in Congress, in the U.S. Congress, uh, to protect the right to vote. Mm-hmm. So that may, no pun intended, that may trump 
right, right, right. These uh, these uh, these state the bills state, okay. on that. So that is happening right now. It's called HR one mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, in Congress. Mm-hmm. So we need to we need to monitor that. We need to get the information out on how Congress will move forward on this. They clearly have the votes because we just saw the uh, the nine point nine dollar trillion dollar bill mm-hmm. get passed just as last week. So right. now many of our community members will be receiving $1,400 checks. Mm-hmm. A lot of our adult members will be receiving those due to that vote. Now, with that vote, that means the right to vote through H.R. 1 uh, will more than likely pass. So, again, we will be able to hopefully get justice if that bill passes in Congress. Mm. There's a lot of different things there. There's a lot of yeah. things don't know. So, going to uh, the, the uh, Congress uh, and this possible uh bill or yeah that, that the administration the immigration uh um oh, uh, yes. bill that the that the biden harris administration is presenting um where is that at uh, uh, it it is it is being crafted right now it's being discussed uh but the thing that uh, we have to look at though is this this bill um doesn't seem to be covering all the 11 million people mm-hmm. that we want it to cover. So we need to look at it. We need to get more information on it. Uh, a number of groups, not only LULAC, but Voto Latino and another Latin- Hispanic Federation are groups that are discussing this. Uh, now, at one point, this bill, this, this proposal mm-hmm. has stated that it would apply to all 11 million. It would mm-hmm. give five years of legal status for undocumented immigrants, Mm -hmm. five years of legal status to come out of the shadows Mm -hmm. to be able to uh, give up their um, whatever they were using to to try to survive, Mm -hmm. allow them to get registered, allow them to to get IDs, Mm -hmm. to get their Social Security numbers, to get their driver's licenses. Only five years under the prior administration was going to take eight years and it was only going to apply to about 3 million people. This would apply to 11 million people. So we're seeing that, but we need to look, we need to find out what's under the hood. We need mm-hmm. to make sure that, again, anyone who is undocumented, uh, anyone who hasn't committed a major crime, and we would even question some of those, mm-hmm. some of those uh, things because we feel that even though some of our members may have committed a felony, but those felon, they should not be held hostage mm-hmm. by those type of crimes because some crimes, even labeled as a felony, are really not significant mm-hmm. at all. It has nothing to do with violent crime whatsoever. So we need to make sure that as many members of our community and other communities as possible have legal status if a bill passes. We feel confident that some form of this bill will pass, but we want to make sure that mm-hmm. applies to most, if not all, 11 million mm-hmm. undocumented immigrants, giving them an opportunity to have legal status within the first five years, mm-hmm. and then after the fifth year, to become U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need all of that to happen. And, and, and a lot of people don't understand the impact. And yeah, I, I don't think they do, because if they did, you would be pro Exactly. Uh, immigration because in like the, the the economy if you want this if you want this country to be great and number one like we were taught right in the 80s and 90s number one number one 
that's what this country has been kind of thriving on, right? right. Like this, America's number one, and then you would want the economy to be robust, and immigration just exactly. makes this right. Um, and and that is that's that you're bringing up a very important thing, Amner, because the white community needs to acknowledge that immigration immigrants have made this economy and that their form of exploiting immigrants through not allowing laws to happen has been a form of racism mm -hmm. upon our community and other communities. It has been a Jim Crow act. Mm -hmm. It has been a form of slavery to not allow our people to become citizens mm -hmm. and that we were here way before white people came here. Mm -hmm. We were. Mm -hmm. We were here. We were here with the indigenous population. Mm -hmm. And to to say that we have not a right to be citizens of this country when we come here from Mexico or wherever mm -hmm. is is wrong right. in so many ways. And again, it's a form of slavery. We should be allowing instant legal status when people come here. Right. Now, with that said, 70 million people come to this country every year mm -hmm. on visas. Mm -hmm. 70 million. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever question that. Right. We don't ever question it. But yet we have a problem with these 11 million. Why? Right, right, right. We want to keep low wages. That mm -hmm. Apparently that's what... Exploitation. The white yeah, right. There's exploitation. It's right? all about wages. It's uh, all about slavery. It's about them receiving more from the hard work that we do. Mm -hmm. I always like to kind of paint this example to people is that there's there's john and there's juan they're both car carpenters right john mm -hmm. is a u.s citizen and juan isn't he doesn't have any legal status they both have the same years of experience same training same everything and i'm the employer uh and you know john uh demands 25 dollars an hour because that's what he's worth so does juan <laughs> <laughs> you know um and uh the employer looks at Juan and is like, well, this guy doesn't have paper, so I'm going to offer him 17, exactly. 16. Exactly. Uh, so then Juan is like, well, I got to take this job. I got to feed my family. You know, right. I, And Juan's mad because he's like, I know I'm worth 25, mm -hmm. but the employer, mostly in con I see this a lot in construction, right? The employer is like, well, I'm going to pay this guy $16 an hour. And then John is mad at Juan because mm -hmm. John thinks Juan took his job, but the culprit, the the guilty party here is the employer that is exploiting the situation exactly. and not being fair. The employer is using the law, mm -hmm. the law that protects him, that allows slavery mm -hmm. of the immigrant worker. Mm -hmm. And you're bringing up a very good example there because most of the new construction, most of the new homes here in Des Moines are 90% of the labor yeah. is Latino labor. Yeah. It's That's no secret. It's no secret. Yeah. And, and, and everybody knows it. And these big companies are making tons of money off exploiting labor. And, and they're not fighting for comprehensive immigration reform. Mm -hmm. They're not fighting for it. Mm -hmm. But yet they'll do charity work. Mm -hmm. They'll put a few of us on a shelf and mm -hmm. say that they're doing some good deeds, but they're not doing the right thing. And we yeah. need to expose that. We have been trying to bring out that information. We've done research. We've documented um, what um, what not doing comprehensive immigration reform is how it's hurting our mm -hmm, economy mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. not do it because raising wages, giving equal status to all workers, mm -hmm. to all communities, 
raises the tax base, even though you know uh, undocumented immigrants are still paying a fair amount of taxes. They're clearly they're paying property taxes wherever they rent payroll taxes. Payroll taxes. Mm-hmm. When more money is paid to workers, more money goes to local economies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When all the money is held by the wealthiest people of this country. They, they don't put it back into the Mm-mm. community. They in, they invested in Wall Street. It goes mm-hmm. overseas. Mm-hmm. So we need to be talking about equality. You're you're right mm-hmm. on Amner, and we need to make sure that our voices are heard. You 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 give Juan the status. Now you level the playing field. And you now rebuild your the economy. employer must choose, must pick the best qualified person, and exactly. not what's more convenient. Exactly. In our community, has always shown itself through the decades, to not only are we the hardest workers, but we're the most qualified workers, too. Mm-hmm. Our sense of community, our commitment, our, our way of giving back, we always do a better job. Mm-hmm. We need to be acknowledged for it. Yeah. And we're talking billions of dollars that go into, uh, if, if an immigration bill is passed and, and, and uh, you know millions of people get some kind of legal status. Actually, I would... There to say that a lot of people, they just employment authorization. Just let me work yeah, legally right. and watch me thrive. Right. Uh, and I'm glad you're bringing that up because when we did our white paper, uh, no pun intended, when we did our mm-hmm. white paper on Iowa mm-hmm. two years ago, uh, we calculated that $3.7 billion uh, is provided by the immigrant community here in Iowa. Mm-hmm. $3.7 billion. It could be more than that if the immigrant community was put on equal footing. Yeah, we buy houses, we buy cars, we create businesses. We buy buildings. Right. We, we saved a lot of uh, small rural uh, towns mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. When, during the recession uh, where the Latino community went in, bought stores that had uh, shut down, uh, paid cash, uh, r- helped refuel the economy. Mm-hmm. There's many, many rural communities in Iowa. If you don't see a Latino store or restaurant... yes in a small rural community, you're missing out because most of them do on main streets. Yeah. Perry's, a per, you know, where yeah. I went to high school, it's a perfect example. It's a, uh, it's a very diverse town now where, you know, if, if it wasn't because of the, the, the immigrant community that, that came in and, and worked and settled there, um, I don't, know, I don't know where there's some towns that are dying, right? There's some small towns that are. Well, yeah, and I'm glad you're bringing that up because there was a report that was done about ten years ago that showed that in the Midwest, the Midwest states have have negative growth when it comes to the white community, but mm-hmm. positive growth when it comes to the immigrant community, mm-hmm. the Latino community. So in 2010, it showed that the only reason that Iowa was able to creep back up from under three million to 3.1 million was due to the growth of the immigrant community and the Latino community. Mm-hmm. Had immigrants and Latinos not been uh, coming to Iowa over the decades, we would be under 3 million. Iowa in the 1980s, 1990s, when you got here, was above 3 million. Mm-hmm. Around 2000, it dropped to 2. Nine million, mm-hmm. and then as we saw exponential growth within the immigrant community and the Latino community, of course coming together in different ways, we saw an increase above three million again. And mm-hmm. again, that was due to immigration to Latinos. In Iowa, we had sixty thousand of us in our community. 
mm-hmm. we are now over 200,000 in our community. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a big, big increase. And that's just going to keep growing. It is. It is because what we see, especially with economic advantages for the white community, usually with uh, their, uh, their children, they encourage them to, to exceed, to get their college educations, to get jobs in big cities, to move on, move out mm-hmm. of the Midwest. We've seen this in farming. In our communities, you know, we are, we are gaining wealth, you know, through the generations. Mm-hmm. But we understand that sometimes the only jobs that we can achieve are mm-hmm. in manufacturing, service sector, agriculture. So somebody has to do that work, the white community thinks that they no longer have to. Mm-hmm. They have higher levels of income. Mm-hmm. They're moving to another level. Mm-hmm. Our community, we're just still in many ways starting out. Right. We're there, you know, just like the Irish were before, the mm-hmm. Germans were before. So we see that history, and we need that because we are we are the state that has different types of economy. We have agriculture, which, which is big, but we also have manufacturing. Yeah, Those, those jobs need people. And... Our community can provide that along with other immigrants. Yeah, there's the meatpacking plants, John Deere. Um, I mean, the agricultural industry. 26,000 jobs are in meatpacking mm-hmm. in 22 plants in Iowa. There are a number of pork uh, meatpacking plants that provide almost uh, are number two in the amount of pork provided worldwide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it's a big, big uh, process. This state needs immigrants. Does it right? Has. Like it Always doesn't. Uh, it's not about. It's a good. Like you should allow it. Or like there is a need for the labor area. Like the labor. Um, um. We need it. Yes, we need it in agriculture. Mm-hmm. We need it in construction. We need it in road work. We need it in service sector. The white community will not be providing those resources they will not their kids mm-hmm. will not in general be working in those jobs somebody has to do that work what about messaging so obama uh got some slack a few months ago when he said that um some sometimes some some statements can be can maybe uh, turn off some folks. I don't know if you heard that. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but I think one of them was, um, I think, abolishing the police. Yes, I heard so, him say that. So the, he caught some slack, right, about about that, and, and he's saying, you know, we got to uh, gain more allies. So the messaging is key. The, 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 the language that we're using is key. Um, the Republicans have a pretty good brand, right? Like they go fear factor. Mm-hmm. They go, uh, they're invading our cities, criminals, uh, they're stealing our jobs, you know, America first, border. So, like, they have branded that, and, like, that's working for them because, so, messaging-wise, what do you think, uh, who do you think does a better job at messaging? Well, the the, the Republicans do a better job of it. They they have the wordsmiths. They they have poured a lot of money into marketing their ideas. But that's not to say that uh, we can't do the same thing. We mm-hmm. can definitely. Uh, when Obama made that statement, uh, it was unfortunate that he didn't at the same time also talk about police brutality. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't do that. It, I think it was it was unfortunate that he brought it up that way. 
we can continue to say defund the police, and we can also talk about police brutality. We mm-hmm. can also talk about the reduction of violent crimes that has continued to decrease over the decades, and not much information is happening on that. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. is that the level of violent crime has continued to decrease mm-hmm. over the last several decades. The 1980s had the highest level other yes. than in the 60s. Um, and we have not acknowledged that. But it's, there's a very simple way of doing it. And, and it, it, again, it's all about promoting the message, making sure it gets amplified, getting it into the newspapers, making sure that our activists, mm-hmm. we should never discount the ability of a few people, mm-hmm. a few activists in any community mm-hmm. to speak out to make sure that they're connecting with the media to put their message out. The BLM movement last year clearly showed that through protests and demonstrations and specific types of messaging, Mm -hmm. that they could get out there and amplify their message. Mm -hmm. Going back again to to the March of Selma, why did Martin Luther King do what he did? He knew he needed to get in front of the newspapers. Mm -hmm. He needed his message amplified. Mm -hmm. He knew he needed to do it through protests. That was the only way that it would be covered in the newspapers on, and on the television station. That's the free media, when you can get that. Mm-hmm. That's why we need to protest. It's not only to show our anger, it's to get ourselves in the media, yeah, yeah. to have our issues discussed. Yeah. So we need to do more of that. We need to get back out onto the streets. Mm-hmm. Another very sophisticated way is we need to start boycotting we should be boycotting businesses that are mm-hmm. not doing the right thing. When we look at the exploitation of meatpacking workers mm-hmm. last year, we should be boycotting big meat. Right, right. We should be saying, don't buy these products at grocery stores. Protect meatpacking workers. If you want to buy meat, go to a, go to a meat locker. There's a number of them across the country uh, in, in, in Iowa. We did this when Cesar Chavez was fighting for mm-hmm. the migrant workers, yeah. United Farm Workers Union. We did the great, the great uh, grape boycott mm-hmm. was a very sophisticated way of getting things done through ec- by doing it, attacking economics of these corporations. We can be doing the same thing now. But again, it's about we need to educate, inform, provide this information to our activists so they can do these boycotts. Mm-hmm. So there's we have an arsenal of things: boycotts in the streets protest Mm -hmm. in the media all those things can come together all Mm -hmm. that uh, um, exchange the intersection i I think that's the terminology that's used Mm -hmm. now we need to put those all together they've always worked and Mm -hmm. as somebody who's 64 years old i can tell you that in my lifetime i have seen how these boycotts have worked how these marches have worked how these Mm sit-ins that edna griffin did Mm -hmm. have worked it's, we don't have to do. We don't have to rely just on the legal system, mm-hmm. or waiting for the white community to give us justice, because they will not do. They will not give us justice until we demand it. And um, there's so many few activists, right? Like there's so many. I mean, I was about to bring up Cesar Chavez because he did a hunger strike, right? Right. So he went on a hunger strike. Obviously, Martin Luther King, Malcolm right. X. Um, and there's activists, you know, among us and stuff. But do, do you do you think that there's a, the the that new uh, Chavez that 
Mm-hmm. Edna that is eventually going to rise yeah. and become a leader is it's somewhere in the youth, right? right? It's somewhere. Well, it, it's in the youth. It's in you. Mm-hmm. When when I asked a, a thing on Facebook about about local activists, I asked people what if they knew who mm-hmm. knew who was a local activist from the Latino community. I found out just by others saying bringing up their names that we had like 150 activists just here in Des Moines from the Latino community, many of them young, like you. Mm -hmm. But they're never acknowledged. Mm -hmm. They're never acknowledged. You and others here in this room and throughout this community, young people are already active, already participating in the BLM. Mm -hmm. Those in their 20s, late teens, whatever teens, we have many activists. We're just not acknowledging them. Mm -hmm. We need to acknowledge you and others in the community who are fighting the fight, who are discussing this. Mm-hmm. You are already the leaders, but the p- only problem we've had is we've had establishment leaders mm-hmm. <laughs> that have been acknowledged over and over again right. and have been provided resources, and we need, to, we need to change that direction. We need to make sure that local activists get information, get knowledge, get resources, get, get whatever mentoring they might need, and just continue to build because... I really do believe we are, we're there. We're mm-hmm. already there. Kind of a, Ob- what Obama said in 2008, uh, we are the people we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. We're here. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's my sense of it. We're, we're already here. And in a way, uh, it's part of our problem. When I say our, I mean, um, I, I'm trying to get away from the word minority, and, um, but, you know, people of color, African-Americans, indigenous people, it's part of a problem asking to for a, for a seat at the table right. instead of just being like, we're building our own table. We're asking to be acknowledged. Yeah. And we don't have to anymore. But I think, right. I think Amner, it is up to some of us, uh, myself, Mary, and others, who have been given the opportunity mm-hmm. to connect, who've achieved certain things over struggle. It is important for us to make sure that we relay the information and the knowledge and mm-hmm. that we we need to acknowledge our fellow community members. Yeah. We need to provide whatever resources possible. We need to get we need to do as much as possible. Should we do our own list of 30 under 30 and 40 yes. under 40? We should. We should. <laughs> I th- I think we need to do that. <laughs> and you know what I'm going to give you my list of 150 people. <laughs> the 150 Latinos Latinos yeah. have already been acknowledged by yeah. each other. Yes, we do. do that. Because we have Chelsea Chisholm, we have Marlu Abarco, we have Veronica Gravera, we have you, we we have oh my god, it's uh, There's a young gal Vanessa running Marcona. for uh, uh City Council. Yes. She's African American. She's African American. Uh, Indira. Mm-hmm. Indira. Mm-hmm. Um, her last name is coming to me. It, it'll come. We have Justin Lewis, who's mm-hmm. also running. Uh, you know, um, we need to name their names over mm-hmm. and over again. Yeah. Over and over again. So Indira and Justin. Uh, Indira's running for Ward One. Justin's running at large. We, we uh, Des Moines has 35% communities of color, so we have 70,000 people of color in a 200,000-member community. Mm-hmm. We, can, we could easily win mm-hmm. these elections mm-hmm. for both Justin and Indira. Mm-hmm. We, can, can, we can now win for Chelsea and Marlou, who ran for city council. We can, you know, 
we need to do that. We need to have people run for Polk County supervisors. We can run uh, people uh, for state legislature here in Polk County. We've had white Democrats who've been sitting pretty cozy mm-hmm. at the state house because they they sit there. They come from safe Democratic mm-hmm. districts here in Des Moines, and we need to run against them during primaries. Right. Because if we win the primary, we win the general. And that's one thing that I wanted to bring up before we end this amazing conversation. Um, uh, not just LULAC, right, but Latinos, uh, you know, the perception is that Latinos vote Democrat only and uh, or African Americans are, you know, Democrat. Like, we're not monolithic right. uh, uh, communities. We're not. And, uh, you know, Rob Barron, uh, another Latino leader here in Des Moines who's on the school board, said, mm-hmm. it, uh, said it pretty accurately yesterday. Uh, he said, you know, we don't really need to spend much more time thinking about whether or not we should be Democrats. We can always run as... As a as a different political group, right for state house for mm-hmm. local elections in general, Rob was right on, and uh, both Rob said that Chelsea Chisholm Vargas said that uh, yesterday. We d- we don't have to rely upon the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party wants to rely on us because they pretty much have lost every election mm-hmm. here in Iowa mm-hmm. over the last uh, two uh, election cycles. Mm-hmm. So we don't really need them. Although it would be good to stay with them because mm-hmm. it could gain us uh, more capacity, right? But we need to look at forming at, at least um, within our own groups, political groups. Right. So you know we have LULAC. There's Forward Latino. We've had the Latino Forum. We we have a number of Latino groups. Uh, Don uh, Oropito has El Exito uh-huh. with young people. So there's many different groups that we can form in and we can get political engagement going. Right, right. Yeah. And as there's power in numbers, right? We come together and... In uh, unity, there is strength. Yeah. I, I saw an interview that you did with uh, Iowa Public Television and R- uh, Rob Barron was there Rob with was, you. Yeah, we were both on And uh, stuck with me that you said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And um, that's that stuck with me because, uh, you know, there's a, re- there's a reason behind this project, this amplified platform that, w- that we're creating, that Kenji and I are creating. Um, Part of that is to create this network of, of like-minded people that um, we don't necessarily lean Democrat or Republican. It's just weird. Uh, we want progress and we want good things to happen to people. Um, and there's no, uh, but you know, the, m- the more together we come, the stronger we're going to be. You know, you're you're bringing up a really good point there, and y- and you do need to do it. And, and I applaud you for, for looking at doing that because what, what we need to do with, with a group like that is we need to identify who's already registered to vote. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in Des Moines, we have about 10,000 registered Latino voters. We need to look at the voter rolls. And we need to figure out who isn't registered yet. We need to put pressure on Des Moines public schools to do the right thing, to make sure that we can go into the schools mm-hmm. and register our people to vote because – Every month, 1,500 young people hit age 18 in Des Moines schools. Really? Yes, and many of those are from our community. Yeah. So we have Pablo Ortega, who works for Des Moines schools. We need to, for lack of a better way of saying it, put the pressure on him Mm -hmm. to get into those government classrooms 
to register our young people, yeah. and along with the superintendent, Ehart. And we also need to be hanging out at grocery stores because that's where people shop every day, register our people to vote, count our people, mm-hmm. just like Martin Luther King did, make sure they vote, vote for our candidates, get them in. That's how we get political power, right. fight for economic justice, because at the end of the day, this is not a moral issue. This is an economic issue. Mm-hmm. We need to fight for equality. Our people are starving. Our mm-hmm. backs are against the wall. Not many people in our community could, could ever feel economically safe. Mm-hmm. We always have to worry about paying bills because we're never making enough money right, right, as right, much right. as a white community. Right. So we need to fight for those things and get people elected. Right. And, uh, and, and a lot of the changes to infiltrate the system, get elected to school boards, city council, county board, you know, obviously Senate seats. And um, so anybody that could be hearing this is, you know, get involved. Right. Exactly. And, and, and it's not hard. It's not hard, but they need to engage. They need to engage with groups that you form, mm-hmm. that others form. We need to help our young people understand how the process works. We need to acknowledge them. If, if, if they want to be acknowledged, we mm-hmm. need to acknowledge them. Help them with those tools. And, of course, you know, going back to Rob Barron, Rob Barron could easily run for any state house position. We've had uh, Nathan Blake, who is an assistant attorney general, who's a Latino, who's ran for the state legislature. We need to get you to run <laughs> for city council. And we need to support Indira and Justin, who yes. are running for city council now. Yeah, hopefully I'm going to have uh, Justin and Indira sometime. Hopefully in the near future I'll send an invitation to them. Yeah. But I want to thank you for thank you. making time. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll send you another invite in the future to do it again and, and bring us thank up you. to date on, on the issues at hand. Um, and I've been following you for a couple of years now, and I, I, I always uh, appreciate your, uh, your knowledge on the Latino community and how we can impact, uh, how we are impacting in a, in a positive way and not, you know, let the the narratives take over. So thank you for that. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Amber. Thank you very much. Thank you for your leadership. All right. Thank you. Thank okay. you. All right. All right. There you have it. Joe good. Henry. I like my cameo. Yeah. <laughs> Walking around like a dumbass. Yeah. It kind of pissed me off, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it what? pissed me off that I forgot that the cameras were there. What did, what did you do when you, when you saw yourself? Yeah, I just wanted to punch myself right <laughs> in the mouth. <laughs> it's like a quality yeah, production. idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Right and it's now. not like you can take anything off because it's part of the conversation. Yeah. Like it's what I said. Well, I thought, yeah, I that's thought a, about it. But that's I was the like, thing nah. about that's the thing about uh, video is that you know sound. We can edit a lot of stuff. We can take out a lot of stuff that we don't like. Or yeah, video, video. There's like you're screwed. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. So um, thank you again to Joe Henry. Um, thank you to Good Vice Movement. Everybody, go uh, to amplifydsm.com and take a look at uh, the new podcasters and yeah share <laughs> share everything share as much as you can uh, share your money us. yeah yeah no we're not asking for money yeah not yet should we <laughs> not yet <laughs> not yet, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> all right well thank you everybody for listening and we'll talk to you soon 